Welcome back, Inebriate. Uh, this is your loyal host, as always, Andy. And uh, I'm actually joined today by an actress uh, who I had to let my youngest know uh, was going to be on the show because it's somewhat of, of a fan. Um, today, uh, Lila Fitzgerald is here on the show. So welcome to the show. Hi. And my youngest is a big Monster High fan. Oh, so uh, was uh, very excited that uh, you were going to be on the show. So I'm sure they'll be listening. And uh, you're also in uh, Bob Odenkirk's new Lucky Hank, right? Yes, I am. I'm very, very excited about that. <laughs> uh, he seems like he's got to be the coolest guy. Uh, oh, I mean, he, abs- he is just incredible. I mean, from watching him work to actually having a conversation with him. Mm-hmm. Amazing. <laughs> Just one of those people that like is so funny but can do so serious at the same time. Well, and just so human when he's acting. Like it's like a superpower how his characters just don't seem like characters. He seems like he's just actually, you know, Saul Goodman or Hank, mm-hmm. and just actually that person. And then you call cut and he's back to being Bob Odenkirk. <laughs> so did did you kind of look at this as like, oh, maybe I can take away some tricks and and tips and Absolutely. Every set I show up to, I think of it as like the greatest class you could ever do. Personally, I don't really do acting classes because I feel like that messes with being natural. Um, And so watching someone like Bob Odenkirk, who is a master at being natural and just seeming like a human, is, in my opinion, the best way you can learn for acting. And hopefully I've taken just a little smidgen of what he can do. And I mean, it's not like you're inexperienced. I mean, you've been acting since you were 11. Is that right? Seven, actually, yeah. Seven. Oh, IMDb lied. <laughs> IMDb, you liar. Oh, yeah. It's it's been a long haul, and it's been definitely worth it. <laughs> so, it's always interesting to me, like as a parent, I always look up like it's one of those, um, you know, where you're like, oh, the weatherman's always wrong, and you always say that on the day he's wrong, not on the nine hundred days he's right. So, as a parent, I always look and be like, I would never let my child be an actor look at the mess that they are but i'm only looking at the you know the handful that have gone completely off the rails was that a concern with you and your parents like how how, like how how does a child actor even get involved i mean luckily for me i have an incredibly incredibly supportive mother so she actually drove me um six hours each way for auditions because i grew up in a small town in the okanagan i actually grew up on a ski hill in the where on in the okay oh canada i'm okay. Canadian. Okay. british columbia the okanagan is a region oh, okay. um, and i grew up in this tiny little town on a ski hill and i just wanted to be an actor and a performer and luckily my mom did not know what was involved with acting and she said sure you can try that and so first i had to do a year of community musical theater and before i could do that i had to wait two years to be old enough to do community musical theater um and we started doing auditions. So we I, five? I was four years old when I first started <laughs> acting. Okay. I was desperate. Um, and, you know, it took a few years, but I proved that I was actually serious about it. Um, and really, she's just been very, very, very involved through the whole process and been my rock for everything because... Mm-hmm. I completely get it. I also, if I had kids, I would probably not let them be actors because it is, it's an industry that can destroy you. It's, you know, you basically doing multiple job interviews every single week and then being told, no, you're not good enough most times because 
with acting, they're looking for such a specific person. Like each role is so, so specific. And when the right person auditions, it's like, yeah, that's perfect. That's great. But when you're up against thousands of people, the odds of you being, you know, that right person is a thousand to one. So it can crush you if you don't take care of yourself. And that's the thing is, like you said, you're not good enough, but it may not be that you're not good enough. You might just not be the right, you know, your eyes are too blue or you're too tall or, you know. Exactly. I mean, one time I was up for a role against one other girl and literally I lost the part because she had brown eyes. I had blue eyes and they were like, eh, your parents both have brown eyes. We're going to go with her. And that was the <laughs> because there's also there's so many talented people in this industry. Like, yeah, there's so many people that are, you know, as good as each other. So then it literally just comes down to eye color and all and of that. And you be like, they have contacts, man. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, was, I was like, they can't put color contacts in? But that's just how the industry goes. And like you said, it's not about not being good enough. And that's how you have to, you know, survive in this industry is recognizing that it's not about your skill. It's just about those tiny little minute details and it not being your role, but your role being out there. And so you said you don't do acting classes and I'm a horrific student, um, but I love to learn, which is weird. So how do you learn new skill? Is it just a matter of trying and seeing what doesn't work? Do you kind of reach out to peers and be like, how do you, you know, I'm not an actor, so I'm going to just you know, make some stuff up and you're like, how do you manifest a certain feeling or how do I cry on cue? Like, how do you kind of gain those actory skills? I mean, this is going to be an annoying thing to say, but life, you literally, <laughs> you're not going to be able to cry on demand until you've gone through deep sadness. And because if you can just get tears, that's not the same as crying on demand and actually being able to feel those emotions. And the only way, unfortunately, for me to cry on demand is to actually go to a place of deep sadness where I would be crying. And so the work as actors is, you know, for some people, it works to go through this in a class. For me, I need to do it in the privacy of my own home. You need to get really comfortable with emotions. And that's hard because especially as people who you know are on camera and have a public life like actors we don't want to have emotions and we don't like being very public about that at least for me I like to be polished I like people to think that I'm doing okay no matter what is going on and I think the work as an actor at least for me is to strip all that down and to lose the professional I'm totally fine attitude and let myself when I'm filming auditions go to places of deep sadness go to places of incredible joy look absolutely insane doing a take and dial it back from there and the best way to learn is you know talking with other actors when you're on set, doing scenes with other people in the industry. And, you know, auditions are, you know, where you're going to learn too, because you can watch your tapes back and be like, oh, okay, that worked. Oh, that didn't work. And just constantly getting more and more comfortable with emotions. So I, I heard, I'm sure I was listening to a podcast when I heard this, but it was it, the, they're talking about, kind of how you're you're going to these places whether it's pure joy or or terror or super depressed or, or whatever but your body doesn't really like your body like your brain knows that you're acting but like not necessarily your body is it is there kind of like is there like a 
hangover for lack of a better term of like when you have these incredible stressful acting moments where you you kind of have that same like you know are you grouchy for the day after like how, how do you separate that too to me that's like like i kind of get how you get there but i feel like i'd have a harder time getting out of it if that makes did that make any sense well that makes sense because i'm still not good at that part <laughs> so, <laughs> okay i definitely find you know sometimes when i'm filming an audition and it's you know I finish the scene and it's a really crying emotional scene. I'm still crying for a little bit after it takes me a sec to come out of it. Um, and especially I was in a TV show, Devil in Ohio, and it was very, very emotional. Um, and it deals with abuse. And it was very, you know, I was acting traumatic things and being very emotional and really letting all the deep sadness that I possibly had in my body come out and be seen, um, which is a terrifying and vulnerable thing to do. First off, that's terrifying. Mm -hmm. But second off, the next day I had to show up bright and early to monster high rehearsals, which is a very, very, very different genre. Mm -hmm. um, so almost that helped make me have to snap out of that really fast. But definitely after filming that and being all day doing that, um, work I was thrown off for I would say about a week at least I felt really off and that was the first time that I truly realized oh I need to like work on coming out of the emotions because in my head I'm like okay they called cut I'm done but like you said your body doesn't know even if your brain does and so that's kind of the issue of you know taking care of yourself and you know drinking lots of water and maybe going to bed early and snuggling down with a good tv show and say like i'm gonna do more work and you know resting as if you had just gone through like a huge crying sobbing even if it was just for an audition your body actually felt those emotions you have to treat it like it did yeah not working and relaxing i don't know how that's done <laughs> yeah, i'm gonna be honest i'm not great at it <laughs> yeah but that's not my not my jam but uh you brought up monster high and i wouldn't be a good dad and if i didn't ask about it um so i don't know your agent's rude to ask but you seem like your ballpark in zoe's age range were you a fan of monster high i was i grew up absolutely obsessed with monster high especially Gulia, which is hilarious because that's who I ended up playing because um, I loved reading. I was a bit of a nerd, still mm -hmm. am. Um, and I liked that, you know, she was quiet and introverted and her friends still loved her and treated her exactly the same as everyone else. Um, and so I really getting to play her and be the new Gulia um, was a dream come true that I honestly didn't think would happen when I auditioned. I was like, oh, there's no way they'll you know, book me for it. There's no way something that level of full circle will happen. And then it did. <laughs> That's one of those, I think, life lessons that you pick up along the way. And we've had just a, a huge amount of amazing guests on the show. And people are always like, oh, how'd you get them? And I'm like, I asked, you know, it, it, it's, yeah. you just have to be like, I get turned down more than I, I get accepted, but you know, it's like, you just kind of go, okay, whatever, you know, and you just try to, you know, you don't know what your, your, what someone will give you unless you take that shot and give it a try. Exactly. With everything in life, really, you have to just put yourself out there a hundred percent and not let it affect you and knock your ego down. If someone does say no. Yeah. Now I'm going to ask you this question. Because usually I ask the other end of the spectrum. Um, 
how do you feel and do you have a um a fallback oh like if acting doesn't work yeah <laughs> which i say to someone who's you know in <laughs> kirk thing it's working i mean but... however that's the thing with acting that's really hard is you can go through these stretches like right now you know i'm on a bob odenkirk show that's amazing but for all i know i'm gonna go three years without booking that's how the industry works um which is terrible and i try not to even say that out loud because knock on wood um, <laughs> But I would say probably writing is my, you know, quote unquote fallback, even though I'm doing it as well as that. Storytelling is huge for me. And so um, writing is my way. It started as my way to escape the pressures of acting and ballet mm -hmm. and then turned into actually my favorite thing to do and a wonderful world to go to just for fun. But if we're saying stuff not creative at all, I'd probably be sure. a sailing coach already a sailing coach and i just do that full time Sa oh, okay i don't think of sailing as a canadian sport but you know that could be just my perspective <laughs> i also when it's you know middle of january in winter windstorms and i'm capsizing constantly i also think why am i doing this <laughs> um but it's worth it there's nothing like the rush of sailing yeah i i uh i've had a lot of friends and and you know being an artist and having this weird life that I have, you know, they'll, they'll have kids and, you know, kids will want to do something and they'll be like, Oh, I told them they should have a fallback. I'm like, then they're not, they're not gonna, they're not going to get it. They're not going to make it. Cause it's, it's, it's sailing. Like if you have, if you're capsized, you need to be able to pull yourself back onto that boat. If you have a, another vessel, I'm not a sailor. that's going to pick you up. Then there's like, ah, well, I can let the boat sink, whatever, you know, it, it's exactly. And it's, it's funny, I was in a ballet company um, as an apprentice, and I was getting more into acting and really splitting my time and feeling worried about all of it. And I decided, you know what, I can't do both this year. I can't have a plan B. I have to commit to acting full force for one year and just see what happens before taking the company position because I was just an apprentice. Um, and so I did that, and that's when I booked um, Monster High, and Devlin, Ohio, and then did another Monster High movie, have a book coming out, and Straight Man. I mean, Lucky Hank. It's called Lucky Hank now. It was originally called Straight oh, Man. Good. <laughs> I always forget What's that. Straight Man? But you said you <laughs> have a book forget. coming out too? Yes. I have a, I'm releasing a young adult fantasy novel. It's called okay. Stars and Swashbucklers. I'm very, very, very excited about it. Oh, can you, what can you, what can you tell us about it? So it's coming out April 4th, and it's basically set in a fantasy future world where Earth has shattered into islands floating between the stars. So ships sail through the stars like they sail through the sea right now. I started okay. sailing, actually, as prep for this book. Um, and it features Anya Marcox, who is a 16-year-old average girl who would do anything to not be average. She is stuck in Class 2 aboard a luxury cruise ship when she ends up in the middle of a rebel plot to find a mysterious relic that could change the fate of the islands. And so she goes on this cross island journey to find magic and relics and prove that she can be a privateer. And amidst all that, we also have mental health because <laughs> I have OCD. Mm -hmm. um, and without even realizing my OCD worked its way into the book through the like evil magic and there's nightmares with mind whispering and, um, you know, liminal spaces. And it's described in the book as there's a monster in my mind. And that's a lot of the times how it feels struggling with OCD. It's a very, very, very misunderstood 
issue and people think it's just oh you've got to wash your hands you're worried that you left the stove off it's like no it's crippling existential dread it's feeling like you are never good enough it's obsessive thoughts of oh i made a fool of myself and other people would be able to be like oh whatever i'll move on and you literally are obsessed with it and can't get over it and that managed to work its way into my book without me even realizing so when i read it back looked at and I realized, oh, this, you know, evil magic that I have is actually the whispering of OCD. And writing the book helped me work through it and helped me turn that into a tangible thing that I could fight against. Um, And I'm hoping that for at least one girl out there who feels like she's average and is struggling with mental health, it can also help make her mental monsters into tangible ones. It's really, it's really interesting. First of all, that sounds amazing. And you're online, you're definitely a nerd. Yeah, yeah. 100%. <laughs> yeah. But I, I really like how it kind of crept in unbeknownst to you because I always find like those are some of the most interesting works where there's something, you know, you end up, um, I remember, I mean, this is going way back. I was in high school and I did like a sculpture and I happened to show it to someone and they're like, oh, wow, this is kind of like an Oedipus thing. And I'm like, oh, we were reading that like in English class when I and it's just weird how you're like mind like there's not an, a real connection, but there is at the same time. Well, yeah. And that's the craziest thing about it, because it was actually based on a dream. And for me, I've always talked about writing as more transcribing. Mm-hmm. It's like my subconscious kind of gave me this story. I just sort of watch it play out behind my eyes I always used to say that I had was watching movies in my eyes when I was a kid Um, and I would literally just create stories and watch them happen it's a very visual process for me writing and really I think of myself as just watching the story play out and just transcribing and so that's why it's interesting that all those little quirks I have worked their way in yeah and I remember in um, art school a lot of our teachers said that people have trouble getting a likeness because they tend to draw people that look like themselves because that's like the face you're most used to seeing. Yeah. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. It's, it's weird how like your brain works. And and even like how you said, how you said how people misconstrue OCD and it's, I used to live with my girlfriend at the time had um, uh, ADD. And so many people like shorthand be like, ah, oh, it's my ADD. Like you don't have ADD. I live with someone with ADD. It was not a good time. There was, you know, like it was a struggle. And like, I'm sure a lot of people be like, oh, you know, I like my desk neat. So I have OCD. And you're like, that's not what that means. Definitely a huge pet peeve for me when people are like, oh, my pens are out of order. My OCD is going crazy. And I'm like, that's, that's not as bad as it can get. <laughs> <laughs> Do you do you want this book when it gets released to, to end up as a movie? Like, is that kind of your end game or have you not even like really thought about that? Or it's going to be one of those be like, I'm going to star in it too. (laughs) I mean, I'm definitely hoping to turn it into a TV show that I can star in because I would, I've, you know, been doing this a lot as an actor. I've done, you know, I think I'm coming up on 13 years in the industry now. Um, And I've been really, really lucky to tell so many stories, but also I'm ready to tell my own stories. I'm ready to be the one in charge, the one behind the scenes and, you know, on camera, but not a pawn, not 
one of a thousand. I'm the one creating. Um, and I think actors are, for a lot of people in the industry, actors are replaceable because we just are. It's so easy to swap one of us out for the other. And that's damaging and that's really unhealthy. And actors need to start telling our own stories and taking charge and stepping into um, being director, being showrunner, being a writer, because we're here to tell stories and I'm here to tell stories in as many mediums as I can. With there being so many streaming you know, platforms now and, and it just seems like there's a, a, a deluge of uh, content because everyone's trying to have that, you know, new new Game of Thrones or whatever. Um, do you have like a, do you feel one, one way is better than the other or do you think people will find the good, the good thing and then that will bring people to the platform? Am I making any sense? I don't I'm not yeah, sure that came across. I, no, I get it. I feel like the biggest importance is budget with making a good show, which is unfortunate that this industry, for the most part, um, comes down to money. But you can have the greatest story idea in the entire world. And if um, the streaming service you end up with just doesn't give you the budget needed to tell the story, it's not going to come across right, especially for something like I'm telling that's a fantasy that takes place in outer space with floating islands. Um mm-hmm. That's a little bit harder to film with, you know, oh, I could just do it in my backyard type idea. Um, so for me, I definitely wouldn't make my show unless I was at a streaming service that could give me a big enough budget to make it as visual as I picture it in my head. Um, that being said, there are so many streaming services looking for content because they're being forced to pump them out so fast because of binge watching. Yeah. Um that luckily, you know, there is a lot of space for people to step into creative positions. I, I feel like the binge watching is kind of, I mean, people still do it, but I feel like the streaming services are getting a little more savvy and, you know, like Mandalorian and what else am I watching? Shrinking is releasing week by week. I don't know if you've yeah. seen that. I'm what is it? it? Shrinking? It's on Apple TV. No, I don't have that one. Shrinking. Oh. I love it. It's the uh, same creator as, um, oh, now I'm blanking on the name. The football one, the British football one. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, it's someone's name, right? Ted Lasso, I think. Yeah, Ted yeah, Lasso. yeah, 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 yeah. So it's the same creator as Ted Lasso. And Ted Lasso is also doing it again. It's that week by week, which is so smart because otherwise you spend months and months creating something, putting your blood, sweat, and tears into it, and people finish it in a night. And they're like, that's great. Can we have more? And then, and then they don't remember it either. I feel like because trend cycles so fast. Yeah, and in it's you go through it so quickly that you don't really have time to make a memory about it. Like to me, right now, the best thing that has come out in the past year was Last of Us, mm-hmm. and it came out once a week, and I would watch it twice within that week because I'm like, oh, it's so damn good, and I have to go back and like, what did I miss something? And yeah, it's. I I, de- I didn't think, but I definitely prefer to watch stuff one installment at a time. Exactly. As much as it's nicer to be able to like sit down and watch a bunch of TV at the end of the night, if you finally have a night off, it's also, you know, then it's over and done with and it doesn't last. It's not something you can be enjoying for a long period of time. It's like, okay, I liked that for three days. Now I got to move on. And so uh, it was Stars and Swashbucklers, is that? Yes. Right. My memory's terrible, so I'm, I'm I'm glad I didn't screw it up. 
it, now oh, is this a standalone type of thing Do, are you like uh have a trilogy in mind or is it just kind of like an open story that you know james bond style has no end it's it's very planned <laughs> i am um, <laughs> i'm planning seven books in this series okay um, three are written so far the second book two and book three still need editing so i haven't let my publisher look at them yet <laughs> um but it's going to be seven books with four planned spinoffs of characters in it and it takes place in you know this futuristic world where the earth is shattered that i call the broken world so i'm going to be chronicling the history of how the earth shattered and the many wars and revolutions that came after that in reverse so this is the last montmorency saga stars and swashbucklers is the first installment in that but chronologically in the broken world it's the last series because as i'm sure you can guess a lot of the stories take place revolving around montmorency's which are a bloodline that's they're cursed or blessed depending on who you ask um and this takes place watching the fall of the montmorency bloodline um and so we're going to slowly go backward in time as we each series explores more of the broken world. It's interesting. And so I'm going to ask you if you had this challenge. Um, So I grew up with three Star Wars movies. That's it. And then the prequels came out and I've had some very passionate arguments with people about how horrible the prequels are. And part of my reasoning for that is if you watch them in order as in one, two, three, four, you get to the one of the greatest moments in movie history where Darth Vader is like, no, I am your father. And if you watch them in order, you're like, yeah, we know. (laughs) Like, it just takes away the punch. Like, are you worried of having like keeping the store the at as you release them in reverse keeping the stories to have the same kind of punch that is definitely a concern because especially um one story is about a rebellion that we already will know has failed so right. the um interesting thing will be to somehow have a story that you sort of have an idea of the ending um still makes sense and that's one of my favorite things to read is when the author actually semi-spoils the ending but then you're still spending the whole book so tied into it and really really questioning but how does it happen and what's going to happen and maybe maybe the author was lying because if you can get readers fully entrenched in your novel and built into the world and feeling like they're actually there and seeing it and alongside the characters um, it doesn't matter what you throw at them and what you tell them, they're still going to be rooting for those characters, even if they know they're going to lose. Yeah. And, and like, I love hearing people who love characters to the point where like, was it Stephen King wrote JK Rowling a letter asking her not to kill Harry Potter? Yeah. And it's like, it's not a real dude. Like, <laughs> not real. But I, yeah. But I love when people have that kind of love and passion for a character. Cause it means you've, you've hit, a nerve you know you you've yeah. you know they've suspended their disbelief that they've bought into the story exactly and that's you know the greatest job as an author is to especially in fantasy is to make this outlandish world and this character 
feel tangible and feel like you could look over and they're sitting right next to you. And if you look up from your book, you're actually going to be, you know, on the ship that's in my book. You're going to be on the Haltho looking out at the stars. And that's um, my job because I see things very visually, as I said, when I write. So, you know, trying to make that work in writing is, I think, a battle I'll be fighting for the rest of my career. (laughs) And sci-fi is very tricky in that way because, you know, everyone says like, oh, the book is better than the movie because when you read the book, you know, you envision the ship the way you think it should look. You know, um, you know, I remember a friend of mine didn't like the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy movie because in his mind, the Hitchhiker's Guide looked different. And I'm like, that's a really stupid reason, but okay. How important is it to you that like the aesthetics are exactly how you see them opposed to, you know, how, like how much is it like a percentage where you're like, I, as long as they get like 60% of the aesthetic, right? I'm like, I'm, I'm probably going for 90% of the aesthetic Mm -hmm. because um, it's, you know, very real to me. So I can be like, that's not right. That's not right. That should be a little bit more cobalt. (laughs) Um, But at the same time, brainstorming is very, very important. And although I'm very bad at brainstorming, I have realized through my years as a creative that um, you end up with a better end project. So designing the cover for my book took a while because I wanted it to be perfect, obviously. Mm-hmm. And I was bouncing back ideas with my um, cover designer and we landed on one. And it was good. And I was like, okay, I'm happy with that. And then I moved on to illustrations for the inside of the book. And I, the map just was not working. And then my publisher got a different illustrator to do the map and got this beautiful sketch of the airship that was absolutely perfect down to a very, very tiny detail that isn't even mentioned in this book, but is super, super important in the next book. So I don't know how that ended up in there, but um, it's a perfect drawing. And now that's the cover of the book. So the cover of the book changed entirely. Um... And again, it wasn't working because we wanted to use this sketch on the cover, but it just wasn't quite working. And my cover designer was like, let me try one more thing. Um, Because I was at the point where I was like, let's just have stars in the background and words. He was like, let me try one more thing. And he came back with the perfect cover that looks like it's straight out of Anya's star chart journal, which is um, a big thing featured. She makes charts of the stars and plans for airships. And the cover of the book now looks like it's straight out of Anya's journal. And you know, that brainstorming process of going through so many different things was not what I at all had pictured for the cover of my book, but is a hundred times better than anything I imagined. So I think when you get more creative minds working together, you can actually have something better than you ever imagined. I I love that kind of collaborative work. It's some of my favorite to do because you can't have all the best ideas. You know, someone else is going to come up with something like, oh man, why didn't I think of that? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, it's funny that you're talking about covers and you just made me think of, um, have you read any of the Dresden files? Oh, I don't think so. Wait, great, great series. I feel like about I might've read one. He's like a wizard that was in Chicago that advertises in the yellow pages. And there's a whole thing. And I don't know the whole story, but, and it didn't occur to me until they made a joke in the book about it. Like all the covers have him wearing like, almost like a cowboy hat, but he never wears a hat in the book. And it's just one of those like rando somehow in the design process that ended up and it just became like an ongoing thing. 
and yeah, some and somewhere in the story someone gives him a hat he's like I don't wear hats and just those little like tiny quirks that work they wear through just make everything better yeah those little happy little accidents yep. so you this is so weird because I didn't expect this to go on to about writing but you know that's the best <laughs> part about this podcast I don't know where it's gonna go um do you find that there's more influence on your creative output from watching other people act or reading other people's writing? Yes, absolutely. I'm a great believer. It wasn't that... a yes or no question, man. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> which, like, which one do you think? Uh, I thought you're, oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were being like, yes, you know, like kind of. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, sorry. No, you're good. I'm going <laughs> to both. But if I had to choose... I'd probably say reading other people's writing. Oh, that's so hard because writing and acting are so very, very different. Um, but is there like, do you do you somehow pick up something from for acting from reading? Yes, <laughs> I would say I would say that reading can help. Um, you even with stage directions that you see in scripts, because, you know, for those of you that have never seen a script, um, it'll have your character name and then your line is beneath that. And then there's also your directions for what your actions are doing. Um, and when you read a book and you visualize it in your head, when I read, I kind of see it like a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, that helps me kind of picture what they might mean with the stage directions and how to make that more physical instead of just like, oh, I'm picking up a glass, how to, you know, how to make it feel like it's in your body. Okay. So put, okay. I think I know what you're saying. So like the difference between, you know, if someone's like pick up a glass and you kind of like robotically pick it up, or if you like swing your arm and pick it up in like a smooth motion or, you know, that kind of thing. Exactly. Because in scripts, lots of, um, you know, action tags are very just point form, like walks to the other side of the room, does this, and they might have some more emotion in there, but it's it's short. They don't have paragraphs to go on about how you're deeply feeling. But whereas in books, you know, picking up a glass of water can take a whole page because we're in the internal dialogue of why they're not answering right away. They're taking a glass of water. And I never, ever like to micromanage and analyze scripts because I feel like that takes you out of it and that makes you less natural. But reading a bunch um, can put you in the heads of a thousand different people. So then when you're stepping into the world of being an actor um, and you have to like that turn into a character, you're able to do that because it's almost like you're being a character from a book. It's almost like you're just reading a book, but doing it out loud. So do you prefer characters like Gulia who's got like a backlog of stuff that you can go and kind of like watch and read to kind of understand that character or something that may have no previous reference where you kind of have more control to develop what the character's like? Personally, although my dream role is to be in like a big fantasy book to movie or book to TV show thing where it already has all the backlog, I prefer to step in as the first person who's ever played the character because there's less pressure then to be exactly like what all the fans think it should be because mm-hmm. you know everything you do there's going to be people saying it's not like that because it's i imagine it like this like the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy yeah um, so with gulia and other roles that have you know that backlog already 
it's a bit terrifying because there's going to be people out there that say, you didn't do that right. You're terrible. Um, <laughs> hey, people are mean on the internet. No, <laughs> I know. So surprising. When you can hide behind a screen, you can say whatever you want and not feel guilty. Um, which is something that definitely needs to be addressed in this industry, just because we're actors and public figures does not mean we put ourselves out there to be ridiculed. Um, but I think when you get to, you know, like with Lucky Hank stepping into Ava for the first time, no one ever has played Ava before. I'm going off what the director tells me, what the script tells me, and how I personally view the material. And it's a bit better because you can trust a little bit more in yourself that way. Because you, you're not worried, oh, did they hire me because I looked like the actor who played this before? You can know, mm -hmm. no, they hired me for who I am and how I act and what I brought to the audition. They just want me to do that. And, and like, I totally get that. And I have to admit that I am guilty of that. Like, I, I watched the, the Lord of the Rings prequel thing on Amazon Prime, and I just couldn't get behind El Elrond. Elrond? Elrond. Mm -hmm. Because he just didn't look right in my head. Like, I'm like, he just doesn't look like... I want him to. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think the reason that I get a little bit nervous about roles like that is because I'm that person who I'm like, that's not like the book. They changed that. That is incorrect. And then when you swap it around and you're the person that's in that film, now I realize like, oh, you know, luckily I'm, I've never cyber bullied people, thank God, but I've, you know, to myself and, you know, chatting with my sister, like, oh, I wish the Hunger Games didn't change this. And as much as there are things that you wish it stayed exactly like the books, there's also the level of once you're the person in the film adaptation that you're realizing, mm -hmm. okay, it, it couldn't stay exactly alike because nothing will ever replicate the book perfectly. Right. Or it's a budgetary thing or, <laughs> you know, I, I, one of my favorite examples is the, the Quidditch game in Harry Potter. Yeah. Like, it's like a page and a half in the book and it's like 20 minutes on screen because it's <laughs> cinematic and amazing and, it's just not it's not an overly important thing, but in a movie, it looks fantastic. But reading yeah, about and, it might not be so great. And that just happens with so many different things, you know, especially with a book I'm writing. There's a lot of internal monologue because it's a first person POV um, in a teen voice written by a teen. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a lot of internal monologue that happens that, you know, when it eventually becomes turned into a movie or TV show a lot of that will probably go away and have to be cut. And so what takes that place and, you know, what parts that I say really fast, like the Quidditch game where it's, you know, not as interesting to read about is so interesting visually. And, mm -hmm. you know, when you're telling a story on paper and when you're telling a story on screen, there are different levels of storytelling that you can give. Interesting. So I can't, this is flown by. Like, <laughs> yeah, this went by so fast. Um, so it's an absolute pleasure. But like, where can people go to? F I mean, obviously, they can watch uh, Lucky Hank. What that is that on HBO? AMC. AMC. Okay. I'm like, I know I saw it on one of my streamings. Um, so it's on AMC. So they can check it out. It's out now. Correct? Yes. First episode is out now. And then it comes out every week. And your book is coming out April 4th. April 4th. Wow, man, so, you got a lot of stuff going on. <laughs> yeah, I'm just a little bit busy right now. <laughs> um, but, but where can they go to find out about that book or get pre-orders or do all the bookie type things people like to do? So you can pre-order it through Barnes & Noble and Amazon. You can ask your local booksellers to order the book in. And you can also ask your libraries to order the book in. I'm a huge lover of the library. So um, 
you know, get them to get a coffee, get indie bookstores to order it in for you, um, support small bookstores. And also you can pre-order it. You can find the pre-order through my Instagram. Um, I have everything linked there. It's probably the easiest place to go if you don't want to just go straight to Barnes Noble or Amazon. My Instagram handle is Lila Fitzgerald. Um, it's very easy to find if you spell my name right. <laughs> um, and I post a teaser from my book every Tuesday. Um, just a little snippet to get people excited. So you can find that on Instagram. And I have a link in my bio where you can pre-order and find out more about me and my book. Very cool. This was an absolute pleasure. Uh, I wasn't sure how this was going to go, but I feel like uh, I feel like you. I expect big things from you. Honestly, because I feel like you have a lot going on and you seem like very passionate. And... Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate getting the chance to chat with yeah. you. No problem. And like if you, you know, when book two is coming out or if you have another project coming out, feel free. Hit us up. We'd love to have you back on. Yeah. Uh, this will probably be one of the few episodes that my youngest actually listens to. So. <laughs> there you go. Because they don't listen that. to me ever. Why <laughs> do your youngest from me or from Gulia? We'll do. We'll do. And um, so our listeners can uh, always find us again next week when we're talking with someone else. And uh, thank you for listening. And Lila, thank you so much for being on. Thank you so much. I had a great time. Thanks. And thanks for checking out the show today, listeners. Uh, if you enjoyed the content today, you can go over to patreon.com slash inebriart to support the show. You can join over there for just a few dollars a month and help us provide this fun content that you just checked out. You can also email us at inebriart.com with your questions, complaints, and concerns. Or you can find us on all social medias at inebriart or at inebriart6 on Instagram. And also don't forget to check out our other shows, Bar Talk Podcast, Old Colony Cast, Inebriart, and all the other shows on the Inebriart Network, which you can find at inebriart.com. Thanks again for listening.